where we can go. I want to preach this morning, as we do navigate towards a 21-day fast, and maybe it's your first day at church and think, yes, these oaks are too hectic, 21 days, they're hectic. Um, but, but I want to position us and, and push us towards something. It's also, we have two weeks before we start a new series on Vision Sunday, just to position us as a church on how we move forward. I want to preach this morning about make your move. Make your move. Simple, easy to remember. Once a year, we make a move as a family. It's become a bit of a thing. Um, it's a move from a four-walled home with bricks in the walls to a campsite in the mountains. That's, it's a big move for us. It's like a, and for myself, I treat it almost like a house move. We totally relocate in everything. Our Wi-Fi gets left behind. All the, the kids' things get left behind. And we go camping, and I prepare for it from months in advance. I, I strategize it. I'm searching the sites, and I'm trying to hustle with the owners of the site to get the better sites. And I, I'm, I'm organizing and borrowing tents that we need, and maybe a caravan, if we can hustle that too. I, I get organized. There's got to be a strategy. There's a plan. You are buying little things that you need along the way up until the time. It's a little bit of a crazy time for our family because we do a whole lot of church in December, and then it's Christmas Eve services and Christmas Day, and, and um, the big thing for us at Christmas Day is not Christmas Day lunch. It's not even uh, presents open. We open them on Boxing Day because that's when Gran and Gramps arrived. My kids are that patient. But the big thing was we were going camping on Boxing Day. It's like the whole family knows. And they can see camping's getting closer. How? By looking at me. Because I become Commandant Corporal Alice. This is happening. We are going. There was a very low moment in our camping experience this year. Plants in, I was trying to strap on something, a thing snapped, I had to get replacement parts, added two hours, so now we are two hours behind the, the plan. So my wife subtly comes up to me outside, I'm busy hustling, I'm sweating, it's Christmas, and um, she says, gee, this is looking amazing, so thank you. She says, shouldn't we go tomorrow? Ah, there's a plan. You know the plan. We are moving. This is moving day. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Today is we are going. It was a strong conversation. And, um, but it's, it's, it's checking that you've got everything. It's getting, and then you get there, and there's another plan. You look at, I, I remember getting some advice from a very experienced camper. If you want advice on how to do things, go speak to people who know how to do things. I found that very helpful. And so I went to my neighbor, Keith, and said, well, how do you set up your site, you know? I found with campers, if you just act completely ignorant, they're very keen to help you. Sometimes they'll even do all of it for you, but that's another strategy we'll talk about on another day. But I went to Keith, I said, well, how do you choose how you set up? He said, well, first of all, there's the axis of the sun. And you've got to position east and west because you can't have the sun. Or like, I'm, not, I'm like, wow. Then is the view. And then there's access to the water. I'm like, that's a lot of factors. So now I arrive at our campsite. I'm looking at the site going, where's the sun? No sun. It's gone. We're late. And then there's like, it was very hard. But we made our move. And there was strategy. And there was a whole bunch of planning. And I want to tell you, life is no different. Life is about making a whole bunch of moves. For some of you this year, God's demanding some moving. You've got to move. Even careers, you've been in a job for many years, and God's saying, I've got more for you. I want to stay. You, you've got to now, oh, I've got to put my feet, I've got to put a CV out, which is intimidating, because what if someone says no? Ah, 
Making a move is tough. It needs intentionality. It needs planning. It needs facilitation. It needs communication. It needs a whole bunch of things. But I want for you what I want for me. I want a year, 2020, even as, I don't know if you noticed Vision Sunday, 2, 2, 20, 20. It's like a whole bunch of twos and a whole bunch of zeros. I want this to be a year of success. Not just personal success and selfish ambition gain, but a year of success that when we look back, we go, that was a good year. That was a great year. And um, in navigating a year of success, it's success in family and relationships. Success in the marketplace. Success in managing and balancing life well, which we know in our world has become a challenge. Success in the God dreams and the God ambitions for our life, that we want success in those. There's desires, there's dreams, there should be God dreams in your life and in my life for what God has for us. And back to camping, the best way, like I mentioned, to get success is to go to a successful camper. I used to go camping the first year. We had like a tent, like a half a table, food just everywhere. You never enough chairs. You walk past those campsites. If you've camped, you know, they're like, do you just judge them? You're just judging them. They've got fridges. They've got like, um, like little uh, Nutribullet machines. They've got a coffee machine. Now that's my campsite. <laughs> I took a coffee machine. And um, because I've learned from successful campers, I want us just to look at a, a man who made a successful start, probably the most successful start in a year, a man named King David, who comes into a context that was difficult because the people were shouting, we need a king. So God takes that and he could have got offended and smiled to them because he was their king. They said, okay, I'll give you a king. Gives him King Saul. He starts out well. He's a man who follows after God. He gets arrogant and proud. And in his arrogance and pride, he puts God away to the side, takes the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, shoves it away in the desert. Says, I'm going to get on with it. And it didn't end well for Saul. And after 40 years of leading, he took his own life. And then God says, I'm going to raise up another man. And in the shepherd fields with sheep, he'd raised up a man named David who was a worshiper, a harpist, a son, a brother, all these things. He raised him up from nowhere to lead God's people. And David's oversight of God's people is an incredible thing because he, he, he breaks in and it becomes the greatest era called the golden era for the Israelites. The greatest extension of their kingdom economically, in terms of advancement, in terms of technological advancement, into all these areas, when you look back on history, that was the golden era for the Israelites and the greatest kingship that ever was. Their boundaries were the furthest they ever were. And yet, what did he do? What were the few things right up front in his ministry that he did? Well, first of all, we see that what happens in 1 Chronicles 11, as we laid it out in the Chronicles, David becomes king and he takes back Jerusalem. He takes back their city, the city of God's people, and then the mighty men start to join him. Amazing. This is just happening in and around David. And the next chapter, we see that the warriors begin to join David. It says this in 12, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 1. These were the men who came back to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of son Saul of Kish. Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows to sling stones right-handed or left-handed. They were the relatives of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. And it carries on. And it speaks of all these tribes that came. It says they were ready for battle. They were armed for battle. They were ready to go to war. And we'll explain that now. So let's stop there. And if you were King David or I was King David, the enemies have been pushing your boundaries back. 
The people are wanting those lands back. They're wanting victories over the enemies. The armies are coming. The warriors have come back. You've assembled the greatest army Israel's ever had. What would you do? Where would you start? I want to look at that this morning because I think sometimes how we start and where we start needs to be guided, shaped, fashioned, and formed by the Word of God and God's great leaders given to us rather than just our own starting points. If I was David, I'd probably go, the mighty men are here. Let's go kill some enemies. Don't know about you, but that would just be my game plan. It's like, it seems like God's opened a door by bringing all these warriors back. Let's go slaughter our enemies. Does David do that? So I want to speak about number one, God at the center. And I want to read from Chronicles chapter 13, just about the very first thing, because there were a whole bunch of expectations on David, like there are a whole bunch of expectations on you right now. Your bosses, your employees have expectations of you. Life has expectations. Your bank has expectations of you. Yourself. You've got expectations of yourself. And those expectations often drive us towards a love. We look back and go, why did we do that? Why did we prioritize that in life? David had all the same expectations. And often in any country, the very first move of a president, the very first move of a leader is a key one because it gets support. It gets confidence in a nation. As a new president gets in, um, they make big promises, big statements. Why? Because people go, yes, we want that. So David, this is his big statement. This is his coronation speech. This is his moment. The nations are there. The mighty men are there. And this is what King David, this amazing man, tells us. David conferred with each of his officials, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and past lands to come and join us. Just stop there. You can imagine them on the edge of their seats, like, yes. All the warriors, like, banging their things, like, yes. All the others are going, and like, we're going to go take back the land. Bring everyone, we're going. You can, is it just me? Some of you, like, read the Bible, like, they were just sitting there. Nice, David. Good one. No, I think if it was anything real, they are, they've been beaten. They've lost ground and territory. They've been under a king who lost his mind. Now they get an amazing man who led them to battle against Goliath. And they're going, yes. And I can imagine them like, what's that movie? I'm trying to, Braveheart, that one. Like one of those. Like, ah, ah. And all the Scotsmen are like, ah. They're not even, not even listening. They're just going, ah. David's there. Going, ah. As they're just excited. They're not sure why. But as he's getting, he's saying, call everyone. They're getting excited. And then he says this. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. And they're all going, ah, ah, ah. What? Uh, and then it says, the whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. Just the unexpected move, the very first move of a new king after a bad king. Everyone's wanting to crush the enemies. And David said, yes, what are we going to do? Come, come, come. We're going to go get the presence of God and bring it back into the middle. See, the Ark of the Covenant was more than just a thing in the Bible. The Ark of the Covenant, because Jesus hadn't come, was given. And the Ark of the Covenant, if the Ark of the Covenant was in the midst of God's people, they always thrived. And through the travels through the desert and the excess, they would keep the Ark in the very center of His presence. But in a bad king, Saul had become arrogant. He sent the Ark out to a desert place. 
And for years, 30 years, the people of God had survived without the presence of God in the center and it had gone badly for them. It had gone poorly for them. So David says, we have to pick the number one priority here. We have to go get the presence of God and bring it back into this amazing city and put it in the very center of all we do. And you can imagine the warriors go, yeah, Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just this unexpected move. It was a revolutionary act that would have shocked everyone. You would expect them, let's go stretch our military borders. That's economic expansion. Mm, Sounds good. Bring the repo rate down, David. Thank you to our government for doing that this week. David knew that he couldn't turn these cold-hearted hearts around with any sign of natural reform. He had to pull them back to the only thing. He wasn't going to do it with spreadsheets or five-year redemption plans. He was going to do it with the one thing that had always done it for God's people, which were his presence in the center of everything. Says to them, we're going to get God in our midst again. We're going to rescue the Ark of the Covenant from the wilderness. We're going to put it in a tent without a veil so that there's no separation next to our headquarters in Mount Zion. We're not just going to place it outside the city. We're going to bring it into the city. We're going to place it right next to our headquarters so that our military, our everything is close to the presence of God and right next to his house that he built, his his, his, his thing. He says, we're going to hire a whole bunch of dudes, 4,288 full-time singers, not part-timers, Full-time singers are going to worship God day and night, 24-7. They're going to sing the praise of God. We're going to hire musicians to play with them and, 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 and worship the Lord of God. And, and the elders are going to be there, and they're going to be bowing down, leading God's people. And they, it's going to go this way, and it's going to cost, in today's economics, about a billion dollars. Who's in? And everyone's going, ah. Yes. Why? Because the Israelites always knew when God was at the center, they, were, they did well. God gave them victories they didn't deserve. He led them out of deserts that they were stuck in always. David's decision wasn't born out of this youthful zeal. He led from a place of knowing the intimacy of the presence of God. He'd learned it in the, in the quiet place where no one is around, and he was just protecting sheep, singing and worshiping God. It was the same thing that brought him into the presence of a king to minister to a devastatingly demonized king. It was the thing that gave him victory over a Goliath. It was that same thing, and he says, am I going to change that now because of expectation of man? It's an amazing thing because David brings God's whole people by the position God gave them into alignment with a heavenly system and order rather than a natural, let's get the fiscal plans in place. See, Saul had made two dramatic decisions. The first one is he'd neglected the word of God to a point that people didn't even recognize it anymore. And then, and Even Samuel, who had pulled him in, began to prophesy. He said, I reject that. I reject that. And in rejecting, the implications for God's people were massive. Then he rejected the presence or neglected the presence of God as he sent the Ark of the Covenant and allowed it to be outside of God's people, away from the center of everything that God was doing. And David says, no, no, no. My first move in a a new story where there's economic pressures and enemies to fight, we're going to bring the presence of God back into the center. So maybe you're starting a new year, it's a new job, new pressures, new targets, new realities, new kids' challenges. We are parents of three school-going kids now. I don't feel that old, but it's a thing. It's new. Um, I have no long-haired children. I'm struggling with it because I like playing with their hair. Maybe you've got some new health desires, and it's a 10-week challenge or keto or whatever it is you're eating, Evo's for days. Maybe it's like a whole bunch of things. 
uh, maybe a good starting question is where is the word and where is his presence? I'm just trying to help position us. I want us to live successful lives. I want your sales, if you're a salesperson, to skyrocket well beyond. I want the favor of God to come upon businesses. I pray for that, but I promise you, when we get too clever like Saul did and we start making natural plans, we'll get earthly natural results. But if we partner with heaven like a king could, see, his life was also busy. I know most of us are saying, yo, how's the week? Busy, 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 busy targets and running and meeting clients and the emails we didn't get to and the uh, busy, busy. I think a king would have been pretty busy. He didn't have email. He had to actually talk to the dudes. Like, I think his life would have been busy. I think he had the potential of burnout. I think all those things. I just think he knew something that others didn't. That's why God chose him. And I want God to choose me and I want God to choose you. See, David's first thing was to bring the presence of God back into the sense, and maybe you don't know how that looks or what that looks like. It's a few practical things. It's simple things. Why are we doing a 21-day fast? Well, it is our 21st year as a church, and we trust in God for big things. But more than that, we want to get back to the first things first. We want to make sure as a people we aren't just about well-run services or something like that that you can so easily slip into, that we're a people who chase after the Word of God and chase after His presence that will prioritize it, even if it's costly, a billion dollars in today's term to do what David did. And then the running cost, 30 million US monthly to maintain those worshipers and those things, monthly. And I'm sure his finance guy, his head of finance in the kingdom would have come and said, David, that doesn't make the best sense. You know what David would have done? I've seen him move, move the mountains. I'm gonna trust him. Will you make that same statement to your self at this time. The second thing, 1 Chronicles 14, the second thing David did is he faced his enemies. I literally sometimes, this is how simple preaching is, I read the word and I just speak through what they do there. It's that simple sometimes. I'm trying to help you because sometimes we read the Bible like, oh, Mark must have read for 17 years to find that one little nugget of truth. No, it's right there on the line. This is what he did. 1 Chronicles 14 David defeats the Philistines. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went out to meet them. Now the Philistines had come and raided the valley of Nephim. So David inquired of God, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver me into their hands? The Lord answered, go, I will deliver them into your hands. Will you deliver them into my hands? That one. So David and his men went to Baal Perizim. And there defeated them. He said, as water breaks out, God has broken out against my enemies by my hand. So that place was called Baal Perizim. The Philistines had abandoned their gods there, and David gave orders to burn them in the fire. So he's gone pretty radical. He carries on. Once again, the Philistines raid the valley. These guys don't get it. So David inquired of God again, and God answered them, do not go directly after them, but encircle them around them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of poplar trees, move out to battle because that will mean God has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as God commanded him, and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Giza. So David's fame spread throughout every land, and the Lord made all the nations fear him. So first, put God in the center. Second, these are the same enemies that have come to us a generation. These are the Philistines. What was Goliath? He was a Philistine. David's first victory was against a Philistine. 
God's people had always fought this battle of the Philistine. This was an enemy that had been around a while. And maybe at the start of 2020, you have an enemy that's been around a while. And by enemy, I'm not talking about someone else. I'm talking about some things in ourselves. Like challenges, addictions, relational brokenness, an inability to break through in areas, an inability to take ground in areas. Those become enemies that we start finding other ways to deal with. We put them in a cupboard. We put a nice cloth over them. We say they don't exist. No, the Bible says this great king, he says to the people, he comes with the most unexpected plan. We're going to bring the presence of God into center. And then he says, my enemies are coming. I'm going to go face them. I love that. It goes like this. Whoa. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went out full force to search for him. They went out in full force. This is the Navy SEALs. This is like everyone's coming. David knows that. He says, but David heard about it and went out to meet them. Oh, the enemy's coming. Cool. How's it, guys? Why? He's the son of the living God who moves mountains, who's defeated this enemy once before. He'll defeat them again. He's not going to back down from them. What are you backing down from? It's the number one thing. We sang about it today, fear. It's the number one thing the enemy uses. So amazed that you were here this morning, Janine, I can't tell you. And there's, you're going to navigate some of these seasons. There'll be fear. But I know you know God. You've held on to him and you've seen him move the mountains. You'll trust him. And that's your journey in this next season. But for all of us, there are similar journeys of facing our enemies every time. Second thing he does is now the Philistines had come and raided. So they, they got cocky and they raided. It says this, so David inquired of God, shall I go and attack the Philistines? See, in the natural, obviously you attack the Philistines. All your armies have come. They've come. The mighty men, they've come. The dudes who can shoot with left hand and right hand and, and they can swing things left and right and they can, I don't know, ninjas, they have come. In the natural, you just go and defeat them. But not this guy. This king, in his busyness of his world, finds time to go inquire of God. And God says yes. So he does that. And then, amazing again, one more time they raid. These guys aren't bright. They come at God's people again. What does he do again? He inquires of God again, and God gives him a different strategy. He doesn't say, just do what you did last time. You're going to smash them anyway. He says, no, I've got something different for you. Why? Because I'm the God of heaven. I see it all. Don't run into them. Stand by the poplar trees and then go in. And David does that. See, we like to think so much of these heroes in the Bible. I think they're more plain and ordinary than you think. I think most of them were just so plain and ordinary much of the time that they had to believe in an extraordinary God, and they had to trust Him. See, Paul's problem was he became arrogant and proud, and his arrogance and proud stopped him doing this, inquiring of the Lord. What enemy are you facing? Have you inquired of the Lord? Is debt a thing in your world? I'm so ashamed of it. I don't want to tell anyone about it. So I, I don't tell anyone. I don't even speak to God about it. Rubbish. You're a son or a daughter of the living God. He wants you to come close. He wants you to inquire and say, Dad, how do I do this? I, even if you got yourself in that position by your own silliness, by your own rebellion, I don't care. Go to your father and inquire. Stop asking man and helplines, and mm, cosmopolitan magazines. 
don't know why I said that. But stop that. And maybe cut all of that out. Maybe that's what a three-week fast needs to be for you. Cut out social media. Cut out the voices that are shouting at you ongoing. They might not be big voices, but adding up, they become big. Cut out the, 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 the running after man and, and kick into a David mindset of, I'm going to inquire of the Lord, and I'm just going to be this simple. I'm going to do what he says. And I promise you, we'll start seeing the successes he saw. He saw the greatest kingdom and the greatest time and era for his people ever. I want that for this church and for us at this time. And lastly, it says this in 1 Chronicles 15. Again, just reading the Bible, this is what happened. After David had constructed the buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark and pitched the tent for it. Then David said, no one of the Levites may carry the ark of the God. Carries on. This is where it goes. He builds the, he builds the temple. He builds his house. And they have this big day where they unveil it. So David, verse 25, and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. See, there's some sacrifice in the story, but Jesus was the sacrifice. It says, now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen. Why? Because he's the king guy. He needs to have a fancy robe. How amazing the world has reacted to Harry and Meghan taking off their robes and wanting to drive their own cars and pay for their own clothes. But David did this years ago. It's not the first time they're not new. It's David. David, he's in his fine linen. It says David also wore a, a, a fine linen as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark and with the musicians and Kenai who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. And it tells us in 2 Samuel 6, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all our might. Samuel comes and throws in this different picture. It's not just the king. He's not just wearing it under his robe. He takes his robe off and he begins to worship passionately in front of the people. Who are you prepared to worship the living God passionately in front of? In those people's vision and gaze, you will have success. You will have authority to lead. You will have the ability to worship. And this king takes off his natural, given, manly, earthly, that he deserved. God had appointed him as king. He puts that aside. And we take the scripture, now we start making, that's how we need to dance at church. And you know, we're not going to do that. But if you want to, do it. <laughs> but the bigger picture is a king embraces something called humility. And because of humility, he can submit himself to the goodness of God and does something radical, he begins to worship. See, David knew there was no success unless there was God at the center. He just knew it. He, he knew. I might be good with a little sling, but I can't lead a nation to victory without our God. I might have had one or two lucky shots, but I'm not arrogant enough to think. And so he writes Psalms, and we see the Psalm 24, and he, he, he pens down the Psalm about walking up the mountain of Zion. It's probably the moment they're walking up. He's leading. He's, one, he's positioned himself not as a king, but as one of the priests. And they walk up, and they're declaring the goodness of God. Lift up your heads, O you gates, for the lifted up your ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. The king is declaring the king of glory is far higher worship him. And he's putting something into a nation that had lost the presence of God, that had lost the word of God. He's saying, nation of Israel, you were a favored chosen people. Place the king of glory at the center. Lay down your crowns and worship him. And when you lay down your crowns, he will give you the greatest success you've ever seen. But you've got to get it right. 
You've got to position him at the center. See, I believe at the start of 2020, my challenge to myself and to you is make your move. David made his moves. Another king, bring the mighty men, let's squash our enemies, we'll get to worship later. You know what? They might have seen some success. But it would have run out. Because that's what natural resources do. They run out. But heavenly resources, they don't run out. They never run out. So this king, he places God at the center. And I want to challenge us. Place God at the center personally in your life. Time, your finances, your efforts, your attention. Why not do what a king did with the nation? Try to do it with your life, personally. And then why not buy into doing it together? And, and maybe the idea of a 21 fast, you're already thinking, what other churches are open today that I can visit? I, I don't know. We're not going to fast water only. We're going to speak about it next week. We're looking at giving one or two options, but pushing people towards something of the Daniel fast, which Daniel did. And I'll speak about and educate us a little bit next week what that looks like. But where we place things that demand our attention, maybe television, maybe other noise, put them aside just for three weeks. Yes, one, to celebrate the goodness of God over 21 years, but more to look forward and say, God, if you're not the center of it all, we are finished. And we declare it, and we're humble enough to say that and to trust you. King David said, first priority. See, there's an opportunity cost to 21 days of focus. There's some, some pleasure, some time, some, maybe some cost. Because vegetables cost more than Burger Kings sometimes, I've learned. And, and, but, but maybe there's all of that. We're going to trust God in this time. What about number two, face your enemies? So you can't just stop there. I'm going to put God at the center. I'm going to stand back. He says, I want you to face your enemies. David could have sat in his new big place built for him and said, I'm just going to be here. God, you face my enemies. Anyone praying that prayer right now? You've got a relationship in trouble. You've got finances, backing up. Like, God, I'm going to hide in a hole. Could you face my enemies? I don't think the word shows us that. I think God says, you face your enemies. The same ones that have been there for year after year and generation after generation. Because I want to give you victory in your generation. I love from Psalm 24, there's this incredible statement. It says, this, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek His, your face, God of Jacob. God at the center, face your enemies. And lastly, worship God. See, David was either crazy or he was inspired. Some of my friends think I'm either crazy or inspired. I'm okay with that. But at 14 years old, I got pulled into a story where we would worship God all night. We would praise and pray all night. And I didn't understand it at the time, but I knew there was something happening. I'm so grateful to God for that. But some haven't tasted and seen the possibilities there are in this almighty king. And God is just a nice idea still. It's the best of the lot. So we keep him at a distance. And he's saying to you and he's saying to me, I want to be in the center. I want to be in the center. I want to be in the center in the middle of God's people. I want to be here in your heart, in your life. I want to be here 
And then I want with me here in your life. I want to be with you facing your enemies. Stop letting those enemies just shout and they taunt across valleys. I've given you victory before and I'll do it again. I want to be in the center. Will you place? And then in the center, will you worship me? Not on a Sunday, that's part of it. Will you worship me? Which means, will you stop worshiping all the others? Stop worshiping your fears. Stop worshiping your anxiety. Stop worshiping careers. Stop worshiping everything else that demands your attention. Place me at the center and worship me as your living God. And I promise you, as I was faithful to David, I will be faithful to you. As I gave David victories and people of God victories, I will give you victories because I am with you. See, this is not religion. Sometimes we can make that religion because it's distant. It's someone else's story. Go preach a man. But when it comes here into my life and your life, this is called Christianity. This changes the game. This means where the enemy shout and the voices rage and emotions are high and the start of the new year and the expectations, unless it's here in the center, we're in trouble. God says, I want to be in the center. You have to own it. Can we pray together and can we stand this morning? I don't know why I'm in the center of the hall, but I'm going to pray from here. I am. I'm so excited for what God wants to do with us this year. I have dreams and I have passions. And in my natural, I'm a, I want to run. But I feel the caution of the Lord for us as a people to say, place me at the center again. Could you do that this morning? 2019, a tough year. Put me at the center again. Trust me again. Cry out, our Father, my Father, again. And when you do that, I will give you victory after victory. I will lift up the boundary stones of your life that might now be small. And I will throw them to the furthest reaches because I'm the God of heaven and my salvation will bring space to your life to your emotions I'm the God of heaven and I love you and I'm faithful and if you will trust me in the busyness and the craziness of this world if you will prioritize me I will be with you can we just lift our hands together because I think this is everyone needs this I pray spirit of God for myself and for every person here this morning the courage, the conviction to worship you, God. To worship you. Lord, I want to worship you with the zeal that I worshiped you when I was 18 years old and I had energy to burn and I didn't need aircon to keep me cool. I just worshiped. I want to keep worshiping you with that passion, with more passion and more zeal because I've seen more. I want to know you which means I want to place you at the center of everything. My marriage, my life, my story, my finances, Jesus, take the highest place. So God, we honor you in this place. And as we enter our 21st year, we look back, we say, thank you, God, but look forward and we say, we are so excited because we walk with the living God in the midst of everything. We trust him and he is faithful. He is kind. 
and all is waste. We worship you, God. Amen. I'm really excited for what God had for us. But please don't get excited for the story. Get excited for what God wants to do with you. Where have you settled? Where have you stopped? Where have you put down anchors and said, this is far enough? I want to challenge you. Take the word of God. Take the life of King David and say, God, you are going to have victories in my life. And I will prioritize you. We love you. Have an amazing, amazing week. We'll put out, watch out for media posts around the, the worship. And next week, we'll clarify. And the week after, around the fast. So it's not the week after next. It's the week after Vision Sunday, the 3rd of March. We'll kick off. Have an amazing, amazing.